The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Well, ever since I was a little bitty boy just listening to my heroes sing. Well, I knew one day if I could find a way, man, I'd be doing the same damn thing. Welcome to the Crude Life well, Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. I am the North Dakota nomad, the shale play prophet. We are broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. We have our entitled intern, Provolone, manning the production element of the podcast. Before I forget, Provolone, listen, I was listening to our podcast. Actually, I was riding in a vehicle with someone listening to my podcast, which is actually quite funny. He uh, works for his glycol and the heating and cooling units across the state of North Dakota. And he was listening to my podcast. And I did listen. And, you know, the blind Joe is a little hot. That's what we call a little bit loud. I don't want to have a meeting about this later. So if you just turn it down a little bit, thank you. Just turn it down. And that's it. Just the levels are a little hot. We don't want to get it in that, that color. You see, yeah, that kind of yellow, orange there. Don't want it there. Want to go a little bit lower down and... Good, good. Thank you. Okay, moving on, moving on. By the way, folks, Blind Joe is our music crossover, so that's I guess is our way to. I know he's good, isn't he? He's really he was on the NBC's The Voice. Yeah, he's open for David Allen Cole, a lot of guys. So he's 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 legit. He really is blind too. So support Blind Joe. And we're gonna have Senator Kramer on in just a moment or two, along with a number of other surprises and just all kinds of different things as we are coronavirus free here at the crude life podcast however we're taking necessary precautions that sort of thing so provolone will not be speaking today because last week we found out that the coronavirus doesn't necessarily spread by sweat as a couple nba players were tested positive for the coronavirus but nobody else really it wasn't widespread through so they were able to determine it's more of the sneezing the coughing and then of course you put your hand on something put your hand to your face a couple steps to get it is what i'm saying but the point is it is spreading it is spreading it is it's more of a uh what's the word i'm looking for a strain on the healthcare system and then of course the potential we'll talk more about the coronavirus coming up a little later in the program Senator Kevin Kramer to talk about that impacting the economy as well as what's going on in the world of energy. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Harold Hamm of Continental Resources, he's calling for some anti-dumping investigations because of shenanigans with Russia, Saudi Arabia, things like that happening. Saudi Arabia, what I say, Saudi Arabia? It just kind of... I tell you, Provolone, ever since we agreed to do no editing and just listen, it's live. We're going to just wing it. We're going to esoteric energy this thing. We're going to we're going to take an esoteric approach to energy. Here how we're going to take care of the existential fear out there in the marketplace. The existential anxiety to try to keep the alliteration going, but either way, it's organic. It's from the hip. It's the crude life, baby. It's what it's all about. Esoteric energy. We are energy united right here at The Crude Life. As I mentioned, Senator Kevin Kramer coming up in just a little bit on the Bakken Barbecue phone lines. Headlines coming up in just a moment or two, and I'm told we have an audio now for the headlines portion today. Look at Provolone. He's getting a little bit of extra get up in his step here now that he's got a home office, I guess, as we're taking precautions like many other people. By the way, folks, March Madness is going on here at the Crude Life. And let me tell you how this happened. We wanted to do a little fun social media thing, you know, and first 64 teams to 
enter into the tournament and depending on how Kansas does and Gonzaga and Belmont and the other teams in the tournament, that's how the teams in the oil and gas world were going to do out in the industry world. But lo and behold, the coronavirus comes and cancels March Madness. I, I can't even still believe that cancels March Madness, which meant we had to figure out a way to do this, but we did. We did. So what we did is we put together a tournament selection committee and we took the 64 teams that entered the tournament and we gave them some rankings and everything else. We put together some regions. So we've got a Bakken region. We've got a Marcellus region. We've got a Permian region and we have a Powder River region. So four regions, just like in the NCAA March Madness basketball tournament, we're doing the same thing except with energy teams, energy service teams, etc. So there's going to be some different ways that we're going to decide the winners, but there will be a method behind the madness because it is March Madness. And I did promise Provolone we would even ramp it up to ludicrous, maybe ridiculous, definitely madness and a mania level. I don't know about Hulkamania, but maybe Macho Madness We'll see what happens here as March Madness rolls on on the crude life here. If you want to check out the bracket, go to thecrudelife.com and click on the show page. And we have the bracket there as well. LinkedIn, Facebook, or other social media accounts as well. We have our bracket listed there as well. Because who's going to win? Will it be MBI Energy Services? Will it be K9 Pipeline Inspections? Will it be energy exposition or will it be the earth's champion johnny green and let me tell you folks johnny green right now has left us with an eco watch of the day johnny green's eco watch of the day says coronavirus hysteria worse than the disease look at johnny green you know that's the thing i love about johnny green everybody's going left and johnny green goes right you know that's the type of guy johnny green is he just beats by his own drum picking up recycling reusing reinventing and repurposing boy he gave me a lecture earlier today on how sometimes he even reuses coffee grounds ish that's not but he does in the garden and that's what i mean it's not to remake coffee because that's the first thing i thought of and i'm saying there's absolutely no way i'm gonna ever try to drink that dish soap coffee that goes through twice i've done that one time once Normally, I'll try everything twice because the first time might be a fluke. But boy, I tell you, that second run of coffee, you know, there ain't no fluke behind that. That's the real deal. That is yucky ducky, man. Yucky ducky. At any rate, not to say that's what Johnny Green did, but he gets into all kinds of different. Put it this way. If Johnny Green comes around and you have something in the trash that could be used for something else, whether it's a birdhouse garden compost some sort of i don't know flower pot i've seen him use pop cans and you know what he's doing right now in our office he's got a dr pepper bottle with a pepper plant in it because he thinks it's cool that's the kind of guy johnny green is he just laughs and has fun and like i said he recycles repurposes reuses reinvents all kinds of r's man just blah 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 i'm johnny green johnny green i'm johnny green Eco, eco, eco. All right. Go check out Johnny Green, the Earth's champ. By the way, we sponsor Johnny Green. He's the Earth's champion. We enjoy his message very much, which is 
Cell phones are the number one polluter on the planet. It's a three-prong polluting attack. You have the actual rare earth mineral, the mining behind it. You have the manufacturing and the distribution behind it. And then you have the actual texting and the actual carbon data centers, you know. And on top of that, even the data centers, which are very hot in terms of they produce a lot of heat, you have air conditioning to cool them down. So it's really a three, four prong attack, depending on if you want to splice manufacturing and distribution, which I lumped together and I lumped together the whole cloud and texting and basically the use of the cell phone as well. So uh, Johnny Green believes that if you power your cell phone down for one hour a day, we can keep driving our SUVs. And he challenges any scientist out there to prove them wrong. Prove them wrong. All you got to do is prove it. Everybody powers their cell phone down for one hour a day. We can keep driving our SUVs. And Johnny Green, the Earth champion, the greatest environmentalist on Earth, he says, Johnny Green says, you can't have renewable without fossil fuelable. You know what else Johnny Green says? Today's environmentalist is a texting, trolling, Keurig drinking carbon waste zone that spends more time posting than they do actually picking up. So I think it's something like that. I get, I get, I try to channel Johnny Green, you know, because he's so charismatic and he's just such a, I don't know, he's he's a fun guy. I mean, I've never, I've never had more fun picking up. See, we adopt a highway. That's how I got to know Johnny Green. We've adopted a highway since 2004. I want to say 2004, sure. And I got, I've never had so much fun picking up trash than with Johnny Green. I mean, it's like a scavenger hunt, and you don't even know you're on one, but you are. So it's quite fun. All right, that link is available at thecrudelife.com. Oh, we didn't even get into the story, did we? Well, who cares? It's, you know what? It's, it's the same thing. Anytime you have a pandemic, anytime you have this hysteria, there is some actual truth behind the hysteria can cause more death and damage than the actual disease itself. And Chernobyl is one that they, they looked at where there was actually more people who were harmed by the fear about what the radiation was going to do to them and their lineage and their family than it actually did. And there's a number of studies out there about that. And so that's an important lesson, the whole state of fear. You know, Michael Crichton wrote a whole book on it about the state of fear. And we have to be very careful because, you know, this is the one thing about you don't want to get into criticizing leaders during a pandemic and you don't want to get into second guessing and this and that. But I will say this. As soon as the schools started jumping ahead of the state public health departments, it just seemed like a little bit of one-upsmanship. To me, it did. You know what? Well, our state can freak out quicker than your state. Oh, yeah? Well, we can shut down our mega malls. Oh, yeah? We can shut down this. Now, if this turns into what it is and it keeps escalating and escalating, because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a spike in increases just because now they're testing for it. They haven't been testing for this coronavirus before. So now they are. So naturally, we should see a little bit of a spike in the in, uh, confirmed cases, if you will. But I'm just not, I'm still, I'm one of those guys that like to remain calm. I like to remain calm until I have enough of the data, enough of the, the, the observation, if you will, before I go to that next step. I, you know, I just, I'm not there yet, but I'm not discounting it, nor should you. And by any means, am I endorsing whatever your behavior is? You go and do whatever you got to do. I am going to remain calm with my family how I'm doing it right now. Now, luckily, I've had a home studio for a number of years, so I'm prepared for this already. 
So it, it's much easier for somebody like me. But I'm just, you know, like I said, a little calm before the storm here a little bit. But Johnny Green, thank you very much because it is important to point out sometimes the hysteria and the fear can actually cause a little bit more damage than what's going on itself. Our social media moment today comes from the news story. If the Saudis think an oil price war will crush West Texas, they don't understand Texas. Well, we posted that story a few days ago on our social media account, and we've got just a flurry of activity. We usually like to read a couple of them here for you. This one comes from LinkedIn, Alan Bates. Well said. I've been in the biz midstream side for a long time, and the oil and gas producers are very resilient, and we will figure out how to survive and even thrive in a low-priced environment. That comes from LinkedIn, Alan Bates. Also from LinkedIn on the Saudi Arabia price war, if they think they can crush West Texas, well, they don't understand Texas. Charles Brown chimes in. Here, Rankin Energy is with a vast inventory of shallow vertical well prospects supported by modern proprietary 3D seismic data in proven oil country. We have 10 locations leased, pooled, and ready to drill with more on the way, but haven't found someone yet willing to join in. But we will, Charles Brown says on LinkedIn as he remains optimistic that if the Saudis think a price war with the oil will crush West Texas, well, they don't understand Texas. And from our Eagleford Facebook page, the Eagleford Facebook page, William Raymond Frank chimes in. Oil companies go bankrupt, but the wells remain and are still produced regardless of which company it is. You know, on this very program, Bill Dunkelberg, who's in charge of the National Federation of Independent Business, he made a similar comment that William Raymond Frank said about, hey, if oil companies go bankrupt, the wells are still there and some will come in and produce it. Uh, Dunkelberg, Mr. Bill Dunkelberg of the National Federation of Independent Business, he said something similar, but he used Chinese restaurants about, you know, the ebbs and flows of the economy, about, you know, the important thing is the infrastructure. You need to get the infrastructure in. And once the infrastructure is in, then you can have a Chinese restaurant go out of business and, and pop up. By the way, I hardly ever see Chinese restaurants go out of business. And I pondered that for a long time. And somebody pointed out they have mostly family members working there. And if your family members work there, I don't think you got to pay them 100% what they pay everybody else. So my, my little mystery of life, I think, was solved. But for many years, I tell you, I thought about it and I thought about it. And where I grew up in Fargo and in North Dakota, almost all the Chinese restaurants have been around for as long as I've been around. Now, a couple have left because they've moved and their leases were up. But I don't remember in my lifetime... Too many Chinese restaurants going out of business. Now, again, I could be wrong on that, but I honestly, honestly, out of all the different restaurants out there, Bennigan's, TGI Friday included, the Chinese restaurants seem to outlast them all. Okay, what else do we got coming up today? By the way, folks, the featured event today and for the foreseeable future is going to be coronavirus talk, but we're going to do our March Madness tournament that's going to be our featured event is the March Madness Tournament. More on that tomorrow, but for now, check out the crudelife.com on our show page and see the tournament and the brackets and all kinds of different things along those lines. All right, we got to get to our sponsor here, and then I want to take a brief pause, 
get a drink of coffee in me or some water or something and then come back and get to headlines here. But first, I do want to mention our sponsor today, which is Titan Solutions. Now, Heath Holloway recognized the serious void in the oil field that he could fill. With the help of qualified team members, they began a long journey of servicing oil field companies in the DJ Basin. Well, they started out with LED lights, and that grew into something a little bit more. And then they found out what their clients wanted, and then they kind of went from there a little bit, and they kept growing and growing and adding a service here and a new service here and just kept doing a bang-up job and kept getting repeat customers. And guess what, folks? They grew and grew and grew, and this company has answered the requests throughout the years since their start and expanded into new regions as well. Not only are they in the DJ Basin, but they're in the Bakken and then the Niobrara and also down in the Permian as well. Today, Titan Solutions secures careers for over 120 people with plans to expand into additional areas. So check them out, folks. The website, titansolutions.org. Once again, that is titansolutions.org. So the next time you need safety, containment, surface rental equipment, or custom trailer solutions, it's Titan Solutions. Coming up next, headlines, and then U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer on our Bakken Barbecue phone lines. My name is Jason Spies, broadcasting from the Hatch Coaches Studio. Oh, we'll see you in about 30 seconds, folks. If you can't move to it, groove to it, up and slam some booze to it, party to it all night long. If it ain't about whiskey sipping, guitar picking, tractors, trailers, trucks, or prison, man, it ain't a country song. I'd like them real cool old school bar stool times. I'm drinking line laughter and love. So if your feet ain't stomping once a band starts a rock, then brother, it ain't country. No. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Brother, it ain't country, no. If instead of using English, you use foreign words. When a competition that you didn't deserve. Some furco-wearing wannabes producing your stuff. And brother, you ain't country, no. Welcome back to the Crude Live Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Some have called me the North Dakota Nomad. Some others, the Shale Play Prophet. Provolone, he is our entitled intern, manning the production elements of the podcast. And what do we got going on today? We are broadcasting from the Hatch Coaching Studios. And U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer is going to join us in just a moment or two on our Bakken barbecue phone lines. And headlines here. Let's get to headlines. I want to get kind of moving because I want to talk to the senator about this coronavirus as well as uh, what's going on with Russia and uh, OPEC. And I mean, Provolone, us here in the media, because we still would be the media, you got to be the eyes and the ears for the people in the busy, busy world. And now imagine this, how many people are working from home, watching their kids and trying to, you know, make sure that the dog is taken care of too, I guess. I don't know. I'm just trying to think how people are adjusting their lives and their schedules and everything else is just continuing on and nobody's even talking about the real problems which is a lot of these shutdowns they're going to have a major implication that i don't even know if we're going to be able to recover from in the same way that 
we have in the past. I don't even, I mean, people talk about a bailout. I'm not even sure that's a thing anymore. We're so bailed out in the next six generations that I, I don't even think you can call it anything else now. I think Japan, what are they in QE infinity last, last I checked. So I think the United States is getting close to that QE infinity. If we're going to get to another, um, what is that quantitative easing? I think was the term quantitative easing, something like, anyway, I got to get a finance guy on who specifically talks finances because I'm just throwing out a bunch of stuff now and I'm confusing myself because I haven't checked into Japan's economy for at least a year. But my point is, is for a while there, they just kept bailing out, kept printing money. And I know there was a time when a lot of people got really upset about printing money. And now I don't even think anybody cares. I think it's just how, what, what, what is the system we're trying to build here? Can we even do it? I think that's where they're stuck. <laughs> I really do. Okay. Well, I mean, when 96% of your life is fossil fuels and the leaders are trying to say, let's ban it. Come on. This is, this is the land of crazy town. All aboard. We got some Ozzy Osbourne. No, we don't have the rights. Dang it. Because, you know, Crazy Train would be a perfect song right now. And Provolone, don't sing. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. Uh, you know why, but we'll talk later about that. Okay, changes on the horizon in Wyoming's oil and gas industry. This comes from the Casper Star Tribune. A pair of bills cleared Governor Mark Gordon's desk and became law last week with the aim of improving Wyoming's oil and gas regulations. The bills came on the heels of a recent rule change enacted by the state's Oil and Gas Commission. Together, the revisions promised to increase Wyoming's competitive edge among its western peers as an attractive place for energy development, according to several operators. At its core, House Bill 14 amends the state approach to forced pooling a statute that helps catalyze drilling activity even if a mineral owner doesn't consent to a drillers under to drilling under an operator's proposed terms that's basically saying that if somebody owns the land well the minerals trump it so the person can drill on there forced pooling is also allows multiple working interest groups in a single unit to pool their funds to cover costs associated with the drilling that's what they call a hot potato in the industry folks that's what that's anytime you're talking about uh you know a land dispute mineral dispute and they come in all forms and, and, and sizes last week we had josh swanson on we had mineraltracker.com with joel brown on two weeks ago and jody smith last week as well three people three people one attorney one regulator basically the north dakota land commissioner and then one guy who's paid just to track them all devoted to minerals so minerals is a serious business serious serious business so I would pay attention to these stories, folks, that anything to do with the little changes and, and the minerals, they can have a ripple effect all the way through. I mean, forced pooling, especially some, you know, it's, it's you're getting very close to an eminent domain type of an argument. And anytime you get into that, oh, boy, it's almost like you can't even pick the right side because the people don't even vote for the right ideas, because a lot of times they know they're wrong, too, on both sides. So anyway, it's it's a weird deal like. The people, they, they don't want the drilling, but they want the money. You know, on the other side, they want to drill, but they don't necessarily want the land. I mean, I've actually heard companies, stories of companies, okay, oil and gas companies who have showed up, okay, to auctions where 
three, four generations of families are losing their land at a tax foreclosure type of an auction. And the energy company will just show up and pay the taxes and give the land back to the family in exchange that they can drill. Now, I've told this story before, and some people go, well, they, they, oh, they took advantage of that family. No, actually, they didn't. If they bought the land, flipped the bird to the person, and kept the land, well, maybe that would have been arguably taking advantage. But guess what? These families that I'm talking about were there because they didn't pay the taxes, the back taxes after generations. Listen, I get it. There was some confusion, and there were some people who didn't want to pay taxes, especially in places like Texas and North Dakota. Okay. Now, where, I, where I'm going with this, though, and, and what I'm getting at, the, the root of the story is that the energy companies are very upfront. The oil and gas companies, especially, are very upfront. They want to drill. They want to respect and protect your land, and they want to make some money. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I do not think there's anything wrong with that. Do you know why? They're usually upfront. Now, sometimes you get some people in the middle that aren't as ethical and as honest as you'd like. And sometimes a bad apple does spoil the bunch. But the energy companies, the oil and gas companies, I, as far as I know, at least in North Dakota, they haven't tried to hide anything that I know about. They've been very upfront that they want to drill and they want to build, build communities and give back, pay, pay their fair share. But they also they want to make a profit. I mean, a lot of people act like, you know, these companies go around and they want to make a profit. And that's a bad thing. Gouging is different. Charging 40 bucks for a four pack of toilet paper. That's a different story. Okay. Taking advantage and gouging is a different story. But, you know, ha having a modest or a decent profit is not a bad thing at all. So, all right. We kind of went off the rail there, Provolone. But I'll tell you what, sometimes when I get going on capitalism oh boy i love it. i love capitalism at its core i mean you want to have a good story go check out guinness i mean during the recession back when guinness was in his prime in the 1800s or whatever and i think it's guinness they basically gave they supply they they supported the town because a good capitalist will support those who support him so if you got a brewery and everybody's drinking guinness and you get through a recession well, guess what? If you're the rich guy now, because everybody drank Guinness, you better trickle that money down and give back. And that's really what capitalism is supposed to be about. That the rich people understand they got rich because the serfs or the people, the, the average citizens, if you will, the middle class and the poor, they got them rich. Now, I get it, you know, when, when people get inheritance and past wealth, it gets lost. It does. It's just like, you know, it's just like music. You know, when you go from the original down to a, a, a MP3, you lose a lot. You know, every layer of technology, you lose something. So every generation of inheritance, you, you lose the original meaning behind it. But that's a different podcast for a different day. So let's get to our next. Jeez, look at me. I just extended that one another four minutes. I shouldn't have done that. Provolone, stop surfing the net and pay attention and keep me Keep me focused, will you? Because our next headline comes from WashingtonExaminer.com. Biden says no new fracking for oil and gas. I'll tell you what, folks, this is going to be a very quick one here. 
Joe Biden said he would allow no new fracking during Sunday night's Democratic debate after intense questioning from rival Bernie Sanders on whether Biden is serious about combating climate change. Well, in response to I'm skipping down here because we're only supposed to read two paragraphs, but I want to get to the meat of it, which says no new fracking without additional context. So what he's trying to do here is he's trying to play both sides of the fences. It's going to come out. Joe Biden is nowhere near a candidate for the president of the United States. Donald Trump is going to win quite handily. Bernie Sanders probably actually has a better shot. I don't think he does. I even think the economy, if it's in the tank, I still think Trump is going to win. I really do. I do not think that there is a politician that can go up against Donald Trump at all. Donald Trump is ahead of the media. Donald Trump control The media, think about this. The media does news stories on President Trump's tweets. That's how ahead of the game Donald Trump is. Donald Trump said you can go up to a woman and grab her in the beep boop. And Mark Rubio, what's that? You have small hands. You know what that means. And if that didn't slow him down, I don't know what's going to slow him down. So uh, I, I just look at anything with Joe Biden and a lot of this whole Democratic debate process is I, I just don't see it as a thing, especially if they're going to go after fracking. I mean, I get it that that's the popular thing to do. It's the easy it's it's the state-sponsored shaming. Every now and then the government gets behind something and it's okay to shame it. It's okay to, to pick on it as, as, as a nation, as a group. And generally it's these, these uh, uh, actually it's a lot of times it's the intellects who do it. It is. It's the it's the ascot wearing, you know, uh, Harvard pipe smoking, I guess, you know, the Joe Bidens of the world, really, that right now climate change is, Al Gore says is a thing because he invented the Internet and other lies that we like to pass on as truths. So as long as our lies are true, well, then we can publicly shame stuff. And right now it's the fossil fuel industry. It was coal a little bit before, but now it's oil and gas and you know, it changes. There's lepers for a while. And I mean, whatever the modern smokers before in the 90s and 2000s, you know, smokers were publicly shamed. And so it's I mean, to where you can walk up to them and say gross redskin fans. You know, I mean, there's there's a number of different things that society lets you discriminate and make fun of. And right now, the oil and gas industry is part of that. And I'll tell you what, being a part of that, I don't particularly care for it. And that's really all I want to say about that, because I don't want to get too much into these political ones right now. It's so early on, and I understand we're down to two, but it really bores me. These guys, these these candidates don't impress me. They just don't impress me. The only person who I believe will beat Donald Trump is Dwayne The Rock Johnson with a third party, the People's Party. He'll announce it on Instagram, get 100 million followers. And that's why they call me the shale play prophet, because I say ridiculous things like that. And actually, they kind of come true a lot of times. You go back and listen to my interviews. Stupid stuff I say comes true. Okay, what do we got coming up next year? Chesterfield woman hopes to break Guinness World Record with her beaver collection. What is going on here? Provolone. Woman seeking Guinness World Record for largest beaver collection. And I see you've got just the audio for that it looks like there's a video to start the story off a virginia woman is seeking the guinness world record for her collection of beavers Lori gongaware began her collection in 1996 as a joke but quickly collecting beaver became a hobby 
Beavers now fill her entire home. Provolone, I am not mature enough for this story. Let's just play the audio. Let's, I think that's probably the safest thing to do for me. This is Beaverville. Come on in. Not one, <laughs> not two, but 1,456 beavers. I tend to take things to extreme. And <laughs> extreme, I, I can see that a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lori Gongaware is a woman who has beaver fever. When did you first start collecting? <laughs> well, no. not as long ago as you would think. It was uh, 2006. Lori tells me this all started as a joke. I thought, wouldn't it be funny... <laughs> to have a beaver collection that was beaver animals, but then have one beaver cleaver from <laughs> be Leave It to Beaver. But that joke blossomed. So is this a hobby or what would you, what would you describe this? It's an obsession. No. I've got all kinds of stuff. No. It's a bottle opener, keychain light. Here's a stressed no. beaver. Truth be told, I was amazed, but I still had to do my journalistic duty <laughs> and address the elephant, or should I say, beaver in the room. Don't take this question yeah. the wrong way, but don't you think this is a little excessive? <laughs> it, it is a little bit. Yeah, it is. Um, but it's one of those things, like like you said, if something makes you happy, you know, live it. Don't Lori's worry. love for beavers has brought her more than just joy, but... A chance to land her in the record books. When I first started thinking about the record, I was like, gosh, you know, I, I think that I probably have the most beaver items of anyone. The previous Guinness World Record for beaver figurines collected was 717. For my particular uh, record, they wanted a specialist witness. And uh, so the specialist witness uh, had to be someone who knew something about beavers. Lori believes she broke that record with an official count from the Richmond Wildlife Center totaling 1,456 beavers. Do you think you will ever stop collecting? Oh, I don't think so. No, I mean, no, because it, it, like I said, it makes me happy, you know, mm -hmm. searching them out. And the nice thing about collecting beavers, it's not like collecting teddy bears, because teddy bears, there's so many of them. Mm -hmm. But beavers, it's a little bit harder to find them. Now, the world record isn't official yet, as it takes some time to process, but Lori tells me she's pretty certain the record is hers. We'll keep you updated as soon as we learn more. On your side, Terrence Dixon. NBC 12. As I mentioned, I'm not mature enough to handle this news headline of the day. Let's just take a pause, Provolone, while I catch myself here. Provolone, you got me today, man. You got me good. And I see people all alone picking their guitars, playing their songs, and I tell them, forget it. Cause you can't fake it. You're going to make it. You got to live it. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. The waitress, eat a late breakfast, country style. Welcome back to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for joining us here today on the Crude Life Podcast. Coming up in just a moment or two, Senator Kevin Kramer is going to join us on the Bakken Barbecue phone lines as we're sitting here in the Hatch Coaching Studios. Provolone is our entitled intern. He is manning the production elements of the program. Coming up a little bit later in the program, I do want to mention Dr. Lauren Scott is going to be joining us to talk about the impact of Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the coronavirus. It's part of our uh, daily 
radio update on the podcast. So at the end of each podcast, we do a three-minute and 30-second radio update here on the podcast. And today it is Dr. Lauren Scott on the impact of Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the coronavirus right here on the Crude Life podcast. Right now, though, let's go to our Bakken barbecue phone lines. Provolone, do we have the good senator on the line here today? All right, let's patch U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer here through on the Crude Life podcast. Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota. Well, now I can finally have a good excuse for not having to do the face-to-face interviews as much anymore because of the coronavirus. So, huh, Senator? That's right. If I start coughing, then you don't have to worry. So let's talk about that to to kick it off. We're going to talk about a number of things here with U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. But one of the things I did want to talk about is the coronavirus, uh, mostly from kind of the economic point of view, but also from mostly the social engineering point of view, too. There's a couple different angles there. But talk to me a little bit about the economic side, because it's really impacting the economy. Well, it's an interesting point because it's it's certainly certainly disrupting the markets, and oftentimes the markets are a precursor to the economy. Some sometimes markets respond to you know fundamental economic stimulus. In this case, I think the markets are well ahead of of the economy, but there's no question that that uh, the economy is struggling, and it's it's obvious that it's going to struggle when you have a disruption in trade. You have a disruption. Uh, in in supply chains and value chains and uh, and then of course add to that the emotion that follows and and you have you know you have pullbacks in investments and things but on the energy sector Jason it really gets very pragmatic it, it, it one thing about oil and gas in particular I mean oil is a commodity it is a that and while there are certainly ways to to trick the you know the markets if you will there there's hedging and there are there are ways that that maybe the market price can reflect something other than the fundamentals at the end of the day it's still a buyer seller commodity and as a result of the coronavirus as we know there's been a tremendous shift in demand demand is down i mean when when there's 30% fewer people flying on airplanes and, and you have travel bans and you, you have uh, a lot of events being canceled and, uh, you know, what, 25% of, of travel either comes from or goes through China, you know, clearly that demand is going to be down. And in, in addition to that, we're already having a little bit of a demand challenge because, of course, you've got more efficient vehicles and they've got electric vehicles. So all of that said on top of it you have this coronavirus and in the middle of that you have shenanigans and those shenanigans begin of course with um, Vladimir Putin and Russia uh, deciding to not go along with a with a supply cut um, with the OPEC plus one and when they decided that not only were they not going to participate in a the cut they're going to do provide an increase in supply to glut a market that's already glutted um, of course, the Saudi prince uh, came back with a, well, we'll show you, and they, they increased their supply, and now they're, they've increased it again. And we're, we're, near as I can tell, Jason, we're at something like 4 million um, extra barrels of oil per day compared to where we were before the discussions of a possible supply cut. So we really have a, a very bad market situation right now, a very bad price situation 
in the oil markets, and I don't have to tell you what that means to places like the Bach and the, really the, all the shale plays are are hurting badly as a result of this. It's not just a price slump, but a really a, a price collapse. That was the one thing that really, I guess, is not lost on me with the whole coronavirus is that the just the reaction of the masses of people. I mean, when I mean, you're talking about behaviors of individuals acting in large numbers, people staying from home, canceling of live events. You know, these are masses of people that are so large. It is almost like, you know, shenanigans where Russia and Saudi Arabia can decide they're going to pull some uh, barrels of oil off or on the market. Do you know what I mean? Because they have the power of a country to do something like that, whereas the coronavirus really did change enough behaviors to impact the marketplace. That's incredible to me based on those other things you said, too, that the energy industry already had a one-two punch. And, Senator Kramer, I want to transition into a third punch or a fourth punch, if you will, and that's the rise of environmentalism. So many pipeline projects and so many refineries and different energy projects out there are are getting hemorrhaged uh, financially by the rise of the environmentalist and eco-law and eco-justice, if you will. Talk to me a little bit about just what's going on from, from your neck of the woods in the halls of Congress when it comes with uh, the, the rise of, I call it the cult of environmentalism. Well, it certainly is an extreme version of, of environmentalism that's really rooted more in um, you know, political liberalism than it is in, in concern for the environment, because if you really cared about the environment, you'd want more pipelines, because that's the most environmentally safe way to move a product that is in high demand. While it's a shrinking demand right now, it's ultimately in high demand, and we have to have it. I mean, and I don't need to go into all the, the details of that unless you want to, Jason, but raise an important point because this is splashing over not just from not just into uh you know protests of of permits or you know protesting literally at construction sites those things um you know are are inconveniences and those things can certainly delay important projects but now they've gotten into the banking community now i serve on the banking committee so i on the one hand i serve on the environment and public works committee that that oversees some of the regulatory side of things Um, and then i also serve on the banking committee which oversees the financial side of things well now they've convinced large banks i mean you know the some of the biggest names that you and i know of and they've intimidated them into pulling back on lending and, and investing in these fossil projects well you know you cut off large uh, access to, to large amounts of money now, these are highly capital uh, intensive projects obviously um and you know that this is another way around or another way to attack the, the entire industry so that i've, I've gotten very involved in in going after the banks that have acquiesced to this bullying. Um, I don't believe that banks who are insured by the federal government, that is to say the taxpayers of this country, um, ought to be making decisions to to deny credit to legal companies that are in good standing and, and have every right and reason and frankly responsibility to uh, to build out. Um, but we're seeing a lot of a lot of capex being cut now as a result of these low prices in in North Dakota and throughout the country. I think you're gonna, you know, I've had enough personal conversations with with uh, company CEOs to know what's, you know, that, that there's going to be a real serious pullback, and some of that has not been announced yet, so I'm not going to. But um, 
but yeah, the, the, the environmental movement is is alive, it's well, and it's vicious right now. And, well, it, uh, we need to stand up for for commerce. It's really something else because when you when you look at the energy industry. Um, they're going through a change, and, I, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But the environmental side of things, I, I want to say the last two or three major conferences that had to deal with climate change from the UN, to whatever the last one was last week, it's not the scientists and their verified data that's getting the headlines. It's a 16-year-old girl, and the energy industry has spent billions of dollars trying to educate and promote and do PR and they're getting the crap kicked out of them by a 16-year-old girl. Well, that's because our media loves that. They I know. They love that sort of activism. They love that level of, of emotion. And it doesn't have to be practical. It doesn't even have to be true. It just ha- just has to be sort of romantic or sexy. And, and they run with it. And it's become very irresponsible, Jason. That's why that's why forms like what you provide, the type of formats you provide in on the radio show, on the podcast, um, in print. I mean, it's really important that a more balanced view gets out there because it's more educational rather than emotional. And unfortunately, even our large financial institutions can fall for that. And certainly our large media falls for it. Well, and we've been trying to explain that for a while now, that this, this rise of environmentalism is real and it is impacting the legal system and it's impacting the banking system to where like you said, now that E was it ESMP, ESG, there's two different acronyms, whether you're a company and, and, and whether you're a specific organization. But you do. You, you're having to get certified now that you're environmentally conscious. So that part of the industry is changing is, is how we get banking. I've been saying this for probably the last three, four years, Senator Kramer, that um, CEOs like Harold Hamm have been on the show back in 2012, 13, and, four, and, and beginning of 14 when it was $100 oil. Boy, we could get the CEOs no problem. Now it's like a rare albino, albino elk sighting, man. They're just they're hard to get to nowadays. But uh, what, what they would say in a program like this is the paradigm shift. And I'd always, I'd always say that CEOs, they're not like news pundits and, and political pundits. They don't exaggerate and be bombastic. When they say something, they mean it because they got shareholders listening. They got attorneys right. listening. That's right. You know, and so yeah. when, when they say that, you, you start thinking, well, what do they mean by paradigm shift? Well, okay, big data has really changed the wellhead. It's really changed right. automation. It's really even changed human resources. You know, like take something sure. like a background check from Alaska to Wyoming. You know, that used to take a month. Now it's a second. You know, yeah. so that's a paradigm shift. Okay. We mentioned the PR. They've got to reinvent their public relations and engagement because they're losing to, you know, emotion over fact. So we've got to figure out that. But then you started looking at the bailout. Boy, if the energy industry took a bailout, that would be a major change because the initial knee-jerk reaction was no. You know, Mike Summers from API came out and said no right away. Uh, Senator Kramer, you you know that this is a tough subject right now because of all the things we just talked about from OPEC to Corona to oil prices that, you know, when you start mentioning bailouts and things like that with the energy industry, boy, that would be a big change if the energy industry took a bailout. But I don't know. I'm not sure what to even think on this one. Yeah, so it's, it's very interesting. And you're right. Mike has come out against the bailouts, as has APX. They, they represent sort of mid-size and, and, and up um, companies, uh, independent producers, Association of America. They've said the same thing. Um, 
DEPA is, is another organization that's once headed up by Harold Hamm. None of them are asking for a bailout. Uh, you know, there, there are various various things that we're hearing from, from them, what they'd like. One of the major things is, and we've been talking about capital and access to capital and CapEx, um, at a time when, when the price is $30, the, the one thing that is happening, of course, is that interest rates have come down to where money's very cheap, at least, you know, credit is very cheap, and, um, and it's probably coming down even further. I think access to liquidity um, is, is a pretty big piece of it that, that, that I think helps the industry a lot. Um, the good news is that they've been on a pretty good run, although prices, you know, recently have been have been low. Um, you know, they, they've been in a, they've been in a pretty good spot. Um, Harold and, and and the folks at Depp are looking for a possible investigation into anti dumping, you know, and anti dumping laws by mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. and I think that's relevant. It's certainly worth looking at, and they ought to be aware of it because I think it does fit. I think that, you know the, the the documents that I've looked at, the history of, of anti dumping and how it's been applied, um, it makes sense. Um, but even that is not natural for the oil man because the oil man likes free, open global markets and we are the stabilizer in those markets but when you have big market players like um saudi arabia and and russia manipulating the markets the way they are i think i think they have a case to be made and that they should be reined in on the other hand um and and by the way i I also think that i do think there are some diplomatic things happening that hopefully will be successful along those lines i i signed a letter yesterday that dan sullivan dan from um dan is from alaska he and i put together a letter to the crown prince Saudi Arabia saying knock it off um, you know we are your ally we've been your ally we've defended you when it wasn't easy to defend you and you ought not be dancing with Vladimir Putin you better get your act together so we we put it on him pretty heavy and got a number of other senators uh, to sign it and, and I think there's you know I think there's some movement taking place but you can't keep the pressure off either um, but other I think other some of the other organizations other other companies they they, they would, of course, they want a, a resolution to the to the price war between the two big uh, the two big producing countries. But they also, um, you know, they're looking for capital, and and uh, I think we can do some things to free up more capital. And some of that we can do in the regulatory side as well, Jason. We you know we often talk about low interest loans. You know, what can the Federal Reserve do to to you know to provide more liquidity to the banks? I think they're they're doing that. I think you're going to see interest rates at or near zero next by next week. Um, and um, all of that will have some certainly some stimulating uh, benefit, but you know maybe maybe there are some things on the regulatory side as well to, to draw down some of the costs, the, the unnecessary costs of whether it's pipelines or drilling itself, or frankly banking itself. Um, you know we have a great distribution system of banks in this country. It doesn't have to be the federal government um that's providing the money but but some of the regulations prevent these banks who by the way have lots of cash they they, they banks themselves are fairly liquid because um they've been required to be uh, as a result of you know former uh, legislation that's what i always try to tell people is that even during a recession there's still a lot of money out there it's just more centralized and you got to go find it and you just got to build a better mousetrap or have a better steak sandwich at the end of the day i mean the money's still out there you just got to go get it and yeah. you know uh, the, the conversation though about a bailout or not to me was just it was so interesting and then the quick reaction back like you know it was almost like offensive you know like we they were offended right. that even the thought was there but the, the, nevertheless the conversation is being had 
Another conversation I, I do want to ask you about if you have time is something that we've been pontificating here a little bit about, a little bit for fun, because we try to be more non-political and get more to more of the facts and the issues and that sort of thing. But uh, is you know the flaring issue? You know, it's obviously it's it's not only is it a problem, but it's it's easily easy to point a finger at it because you can see it and you can take pictures of it and right. people don't like right. it. So, right. you know, it's, it's really even not that dirty, but it's just, it's, it's, right. it's easy to point a finger at. So uh, we started saying, you know, let's say, well, let's just take a look at wind and solar energy. Okay. They've gotten subsidies for 30 years and they've, they've put milestones out there and they haven't really hit any of the milestones and wind, wind energy is still not affordable. Um, it's not reliable. And cell phones, cell phone, I'm sorry, uh, uh, solar energy is still not reliable and affordable either. And it's, it's not a bash on the industry. It's just where it's at. And they've gotten 30 years of subsidies. So I've often asked the question, what if we shifted some of those subsidies over to natural gas? So maybe these crazy, clever scientists that are sitting out and sleeping at well sites, checking monitors, can help solve that flaring issue. Maybe we get some new super plastic at the end of the day or new, some new super feedstock. Who knows? But my point is, is that if they were subsidized, they might be able to solve that flaring issue. And then, of course, the industry gets upset because the word subsidy comes out. Well, now I see that somebody in the halls of Congress is starting to talk about a natural gas tax. So I'm going, okay, we should go back to the subsidy shift now. Um, talk to me a little bit about that whole thing when it comes to, is that anything that you know that you could even look at as a, as a shift of subsidies to, the, to help that flaring problem? Because that, that is truly a solvable problem in the next five to 10 years. Well, we know it is. I mean, the, the biggest challenge we have, of course, in North Dakota is that it, it's it's a byproduct of the oil itself, and the oil comes out rather easily and rather quickly, and there is an existing infrastructure for a lot of that. It is the uh, it's the expense and the permitting and, the, you know, the, the time lag for building out the gathering and transmission and even processing, of course, of the natural gas. That said, you make a lot of important points. The, the fact that we can see the flaring makes it difficult the fact that we live in a cold climate and see flaring makes it downright immoral because we think of <laughs> what it costs to, to warm a home now natural gas is so abundant it's darn near free and I, and I know that sounds crazy but it's so low cost the commodity is priced so cheaply because of because of the abundance of it that to me there are natural there should be natural market forces that provide the opportunity and the, the appropriate incentives to capture, gather, and, and process that gas. And you've seen a lot of it in North Dakota. It's just that it's, it lags behind the, the oil side of the, the factor. Now, I hate to get back to coronavirus, but what we're experiencing right now in this state as a result of this, this price crash in oil, you're going to unfortunately see a slowdown in the build-out of natural gas infrastructure. Whether that's, uh, you, you know, as you probably know, I mean, there there were some large, um, there are some large uh, plans for natural gas processing facilities in the state th this summer. Um, I, I don't know anything yet, but I, I'm watching, reading the tea leaves, and I'm very concerned that some of the infrastructure that would have provided some of the relief, and not just relief for the flaring. But now use for the natural gas, whether it's processing and sending down the line or sending down the line wet to, uh, to other processing facilities, uh, you know, 
at some point maybe some sort of a hydrocarbon or, a, or you know a plastics facility all of those things are going to have great setbacks now as a result of price your question however is about subsidizing it i think there are other ways to do it than subsidizing it. I, th- I think that there are we should help incent the appropriate market forces for example I met a couple of weeks ago in my office uh, with somebody who's actually become a bit of a, an international friend. I think I've met with him three times now, but um, it is the uh, the energy minister from Poland. They would love to buy our natural gas rather than, than Russia's. Um, we have big things. They remember when, when Donald Trump uh, took so much criticism for suggesting to Angela Merkel that she should um, you know, change her views on the Nord Stream 2 uh, pipeline. Uh, and, and help rather facilitate the, the build out of a, of a pipeline infrastructure in Europe that carries American gas. Um, there's a lot of demand globally for what we produce here in the United States. The other thing, and you raised with the issue of subsidies, is, is electric generation. You talked about the intermittency of, of, uh, of wind and solar, the, the lack of reliability to it on the grid, the fact that we have utilities in, in North Dakota time, you know, more about abandoning large, efficient coal plants because it's so cheap to do wind and solar and, and natural gas. Well, guess what? We just happen to produce a lot of natural gas in, the, in, in North Dakota as well, and we happen to have a lot of electric infrastructure. But, um, you know, we, we need to find ways to use that gas because it's a precious commodity, even though it's a low-cost commodity right now. Um, but the best way to, um, you know, to get a better return on your dollar is, is to, um, you know, to use more of it. And, you know, demand creates, uh, you know, creates price. So, um, I, as you can tell, I'm sort of, I'm sort of lukewarm at best to the idea of subsidizing things, but we can, I think there are some more natural market forces that we can help incent. No, I agree. I'm not a, listen, I'm a, you know, here's a little insight on me. I helped start the teenage Republicans in my high school and, you know, so I mean, to, to, to the core, but I'm, I'm one of those old school, like I guess they call them was a Goldwater kind of guys, government yeah, stay out no, of my checkbook, yeah. government stay out of my, you know, personal life, but Hey, I'll help you build the roads. You know, we, we yeah, want some, right. we want some authority figures around to keep the riffraff right. out, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, why again, the subsidies, I hate even saying that word, but then again, at the same time, I'm going, I'd, I'd rather see, you know, subsidies go into keeping the pipelines being built and keeping some of the flow going as, as so that Russia and Saudi Arabia and the coronavirus don't stop, doesn't stop it in America when, you know, we are really close to energy independence whenever we want to be. No, when, no yeah, when we want to be is a different story. But um, so uh, just kind of wrapping up here. Go ahead. I want to just add to that point. You're, you're making a really important point right here. Even if we're not, if, if we aren't um, on the books independent, we, we, we're capable of independence, and that's what makes us independent. And if if uh, this is why uh, something like what, what DEPA is talking about in terms of a, a an anti-dumping uh, investigation and perhaps action with countervailing um, with countervailing uh, tariffs is is a threat worth putting out there because. We are capable of independence. We're capable of dominance, as the president has, has mentioned. And the only thing keeping us from doing that is that you know is that we're part of a global market. But if the global market is not going to be fair to us, we can become independent real fast. And we are the consumers in this world. But we want to be able to sell our product as much as anything and uh, and use it for good around the world because natural gas and oil 
uh, I'd say natural gas in particular right now is is a is a national security tool as opposed to a national security weapon. And that's why we should be looking for more ways to streamline the permitting process for gathering lines, transmission lines, export terminals, uh, and then working with our, our trading partners around the world to work with us on on, ex, on import terminals and their own infrastructure so they don't have to be beholden to Vladimir Putin for their natural gas supply. Winding down here with Senator Kevin Kramer. Appreciate the overtime here today. And you mentioned oh, Harold pleasure. Hamm's name. And I did want to ask you about uh, Harold Hamm, who you know on a, not only a personal level, but he's helped you on, I think, your campaign even a little bit. I think he even. He was my finance chairman. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I think he even shook a few hands on your behalf, but being your finance chairman, well, that's a little better. So, <laughs> um, well, you know, it takes both hands and money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. They wash each other too, I guess, but uh, that's a different <laughs> saying for a different day. Uh, Harold Hamm just recently got an honorary doctorate at uh, University of North Dakota, of course. Being from a different state, that means he's done some incredible things for not only the university but the state and i do want to mention too before i let you talk a little bit about harold ham because you know him like i say on a personal and professional level but we've had a lot of ceos come and go in north dakota from out of state you know we've we we, we are a very big agriculture uh community we're a very big oil community as well we're a big tech community with uh, governor burgum and bill gates connections and to get an honorary doctorate like something like this shows that Harold Hamm is not only you know somebody who's done a lot of business with the state, but he's spent a lot of time getting to know the state, and he's done it in almost a maverick kind of way. You know, he really has, and that really has appealed to the people of North Dakota. So I just thought I'd start with that. Well, you you have really um, characterized Harold in in, a, in an appropriate way. Jason, I think part of why we relate so well to Harold isn't just because of his generosity or just because of the incredible investment he's made in this state. But remember, he's a, he's even a pioneer in, in terms of our state because when it comes to the combination of of hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling, it is Harold who is credited with cracking that code. And and when he did crack that code, he just happened to have about a million. Um, mineral acres <laughs> right here in our state, and so he's made major investment here. He is, while he still has an Oklahoma accent and a home in Oklahoma, he is a corporate citizen of North Dakota. And so, in many respects, he's he's appropriately, you know, considered the the godfather of at least of the the Bach and Shale play. Now, I also have to say, Harold, the, the other part of why we like Harold is he's a lot like us. You know, he he's been referred to as the blue collar billionaire. Um, because Harold's really more comfortable uh, in, you know, in hunting clothing than he is in a in a suit. Although he's become pretty good at wearing the suit, and you know, we see him a lot on the uh, on the the business shows on CNBC and Fox Business and Bloomberg TV. And uh, he has to talk to the street. You know, you you know, you were talking about that a little bit earlier. That CEOs always have to sort of maintain a certain tone when they're talking because there are people on Wall Street listening at all times and it's you know credit rating agencies investors and in, you know the, the institutional investors but but Harold's also an independent so and I think it's important to know you know to remember that he's an, he's really an independent not just literally but in his heart 
and so he's a lot like a North Dakotan. And uh, if you're to bump into Harold at the coffee shop, you could be talking to a rancher or a farmer or a mechanic, a geologist, or uh, you know, an, an oil tycoon. You never know for sure. And um, so, so we just relate to him. But he has also he's also invested significantly in the charities of our of our state and our education system and in, in sometimes in big flashy ways and in some sometimes in the ways that i'm familiar with when it's not so big and flashy but more anonymous and and personal now i, I would say he follows a lot of others like him i mean i think of somebody like john hess who i had a good visit with this earlier this year when i think about it, the the legacy of of, of Western North Dakota and oil and gas exploration and recovery and processing. I mean, Hess is really the, you know, Hess is really the, the legacy company for North Dakota. So, so, and his name remains on the, uh, you know, on the, on the buildings. But, but Harold's special in that he's really made North Dakota uh, not just a second home, but I'd almost say just another home. It's really his. It's almost equal to his, uh, to his roots in, in Oklahoma. Thank you, Senator. Senator, appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Jason. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. But now I'm back at the bar again, hanging out with all my rowdy friends, getting drunk and singing redneck songs. I'll probably stay here, baby, all night long. Pour me a beer and a shot of jam. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. Whiskey glass, hanging out with friends and having a blast. My mom and dad think it's a waste of time. Not anymore. Drinking beer and riding redneck rhymes. I think I'll do it just as long as I can. That's why I'm back at the bar again. And that's going to do it for today's Crude Life podcast. My name is Jason Spies. I'd like to thank you folks for tuning in and joining us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer for coming by and talking about Russia, Saudi Arabia, coronavirus, Harold Hamm, extreme environmentalism, and what kind of world natural gas subsidies would bring us. Also, Lauren Scott coming up in just a moment or two. Dr. Lauren Scott, excuse me. He's going to talk about the impact of Russia, Saudi Arabia, the coronavirus in the oil and gas market on our 3-minute and 30-second daily radio update here on the podcast. Also, our headlines are available, including that wonderful video about the Chesterfield woman hoping to break the Guinness World Record with her beaver collection. Those links are available at the Crude Life podcast show page. Of course, I do want to mention once again our sponsor, Titan Solutions. We'd like to thank Titan Solutions for being our sponsor here today. The next time you have any questions or needs for safety, containment, surface rental equipment, or custom trailer solutions, do me a favor, contact Titan Solutions and visit their website, titansolutions.org. That is titansolutions.org. I do want to mention that our featured event is kind of on hiatus right now until the coronavirus is a little bit more contained and we get a little bit more information on the future of events here in the, well, I guess the earth. 
What we're doing right now for our featured event, though, is the March Madness, the Crude Life March Madness Tournament. So if you'd like to check out the brackets, we've got 64 teams vying for the March Madness Crude Life Tournament here in 2020. So check out who the number one seed is, the number five seed, even the 16 seeds are available at the Crude Life Podcast show page. Tomorrow we'll be going over the brackets in the March Madness Tournament right here on the Crude Life Podcast. Also, I'd like to thank Blind Joe. He's our music crossover, our studio sponsor, Hatch Coaching, and our Bakken Barbecue phone line sponsor as well. Bakken Barbecue is our sponsor for the phone line. The Crude Life Podcast can be heard every Monday through Thursday with a weekend review on Friday. Also, folks, our social media moment was about the article about Saudi Arabia thinks they got an oil war to crush West Texas while well, they don't understand Texas. And that was a lively discussion on our many social media platforms. You can always check us out at thecrudelife.com. That's going to do it today, folks. Tomorrow, Sarge Summers on with Oilfield Connections, talking about that and much, much more. From the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast, Provolone, excellent job today, by the way. I forgot to thank you. As always, thank you, Provolone, for the hard work you do. From the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. Different angles there, but talk to me a little bit about the economic side, because it's really impacting the economy. Well, it's an interesting point, because it's it's certainly certainly disrupting the markets and oftentimes the markets are a precursor to the economy some sometimes markets respond to you know fundamental economic stimulus in this case i think the markets are well ahead of, of the economy but there's no question that that uh, the economy is struggling and it's it's obvious that it's going to struggle when you have a disruption in trade you have a disruption uh in in supply chains and value chains and and then of course add to that the emotion that follows and, and you have you know you have pullbacks and in investments and things but on the energy sector jason it really gets very pragmatic it, it one thing about oil and gas in particular i mean oil is a commodity it is a that and while there are certainly ways to to trick the you know the markets if you will there there's hedging and there are there are ways that maybe the market price can reflect something other than the fundamentals at the end of the day it's still a buyer seller commodity and as a result of the coronavirus as we know there's been a tremendous shift in demand demand is down i mean when there's 30 percent fewer people flying on airplanes and and you have travel bans and you you have events being canceled and uh you know what 25 percent of travel either comes from or goes through china and you know, clearly that demand is going to be down. And in addition to that, we're already having demand challenge because, of course, you've got more efficient vehicles and we've got electric vehicles. So all of that said, on top of it, you have this coronavirus. And in the middle of that, you have shenanigans. And those shenanigans begin, of course, with um, Vladimir Putin and Russia uh, deciding to not go along with a, with a supply cut 
um, with uh, OPEC plus one. And when they decided that not only were they not going to participate in a the cut, they're going to do provide an increase in supply to glut a market that's already glutted. Um, of course, the Saudi prince uh, came back with a, well, we'll show you. And they, they increased their supply and now they're, they've increased it again. And we're, we're near as I can tell, Jason, we're at something like 4 million um, extra barrels of oil per day compared to where we were before the discussions of a possible supply cut. So we really have a, a very bad market situation right now, a very bad price situation in the oil markets, and I don't have to tell you what that means to places like the Bach and really all the shale plays. And that was U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. Here we go. Burger steaks, holiday ends. That's the kind of world that I live in. I play a different town most every night. Love on my woman, write a new song. That's my life. Well, that's my life. Yes, y'all, and I love it. Well, that's my life There ain't nothing else in the world above it And I see people all alone Picking their guitars, playing their songs And I tell them, forget it Cause you can't fake it You're gonna make it You gotta live it I got a big bus With a TV and a bar And a little room in the back for me And my old guitar Gotta stop and fuel up every 500 miles. Give a picture to the waitress, eat a late breakfast, country style. Cause that's my life, yes, y'all, and I love it. That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone picking their guitars, playing their songs, and I tell them, forget it. You can't fake it, you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. We get home from Nashville on a Monday night. Record songs on Tuesday, and on Wednesday we take out the wife. But then on Thursday night, it's back on the road. I don't care if it's North Dakota or Southern Minnesota, just as long as I grow. That's my life, yes, y'all, and I love it. That's my life, there ain't nothing else in the world above it. And I see people all alone picking their guitars, playing their songs. And I tell them, forget it, cause you can't fake it. If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. Yeah, brother, you can't fake it. If you're gonna make it, you gotta live it. It seems everywhere I go these days, someone is telling me about the success of Hatch Coaching. Listen to what professional speaker Mark J. Lindquist has to say. To see Eric Hatch grow 
his business and then start to share it with other people, I think is one of those great steps in life. You know, what do you do in society? You succeed at a thing and then you teach other people how you did it. And now to see Eric duplicating his genius across the country, I'm telling you. There's a world changer down the street, and his name is Eric Hatch. For more information, call 701-212-1572 or visit coachingwithhatch.com. That's coachingwithhatch.com. The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.